Man, I am so excited to share again with you guys. It's You guys are my family. This is the body of Christ, and it's so good to have the opportunity to just share and be a part of the church in this season. I know Emily and I are just so thankful for who you guys are, the love that you guys have for God and each other, and the unity of this body. And we're just, I am so very excited to have the opportunity to share from Ecclesiastes with you guys today. I think Cody did a really good job last week of just opening up the book and just kind of give us a, an overview, understanding of some of like the base, baseline terminology throughout the book and just having an idea of what Ecclesiastes is about and um, just a, a really good overview that's going to help set us up for the rest of this series. Um, and I get the honor to have to preach out of probably one of my favorite sections of the book, which is chapters like three, talking about seasons. And as I was thinking about today's message and thinking about um, seasons of life and um, just different change and how, how the preacher here in chapter three, he gets into the ins and out of seasons and change and he has his own uh, opinion and view on what that is. And I was, as I was kind of mowing over this and thinking about it, I was thinking about my own life. Um, I've grown up all over the state of Alaska. I've counted the other week, I've moved 14 times and I'm only 20 years old, which is a lot. Um, most recently, I went from ABI to here. I was at ABI for two years, and I kind of had this dream in mind of what it would be like. I had this plan, and of course it changed because I'm talking about seasons, right? So I had this plan that I would go to ABI, and I would go there for a couple years. I would study. I would make friends. We would go on mission trip. Um, I didn't think I would actually evade the cops in Homer one time up East Hill Road with my hick friend Nevin from West Virginia, but I did do that as well. It felt like change. By the way, that's nothing to do with this today's message. I just wanted to say that, get it off my chest. But it just felt like change. Every, like, every week was change. You're having spiritual change. You're having, you know, you're learning about the Bible. You're learning with friends. You're getting involved in ministry. Change is happening all the time. It was just like a two-year season of my life that was this constant change every single day. And I had this idea as well that after ABI, I would actually get into law enforcement if I didn't evade the cops too much. And I would, you know, get involved in a church, maybe 25, 30 years old, I would get married. And that was my plan. Yeah, exactly. I'm 20 years old. I'm still in school. I'm married. and I'm definitely not in law enforcement. So like that was my plan. And that was how God changed that and put me into a different season. <laughs> exactly. At least somebody sees it that way. So as I was like thinking about that, like change happens all the time, you know, like I'm, I'm getting done with this internship here in April and then I'm moving on to a new season with my wife and changes is constantly happening around us and we can't stop it. It's just a part of this world. It's part of our human condition is change. We're, we're in seasons of life, different seasons, you know, with, I'm not in the same season as the rest of you guys, but we're all in seasons of life and we can't seem to avoid that really. And I think we all are very, you know, aware of seasons. I mean, Talkeetna is basically lives on seasons. That's what this community is about. You know, in the springtime, we're thinking about getting our garden started. We're having plants in our house, probably taking over every windowsill that we have. We maybe are thinking about our Airbnbs and bed and breakfast. We're getting our bookings solidified. We're getting everything ready. Maybe we are, you know, trying to finish up our last minute remodel projects in our home before summer hits and we get super busy. That's springtime. That's our spring season here. And we get really, really hyped up in that. And then summer comes around and we're dealing with our gardens and our guests. Cody's flipping his raft out in the river and losing all of his stuff. Aviation is quite literally taking off. Sorry, bad joke. 
Tourist season is in full swing and is keeping us all probably a little too busy. Um, we're probably out on the river fishing. We're trying to get fish for the freezer before winter. Out on the farms, chicks are being hatched. We were maybe having our baby goats and sheep and piglets being born and we're getting them fat with all the table scraps. That's just summer. That's busy. We have a lot going on. We're working on our outside projects. And then fall. Yeah, I'm already talking about fall. Fall comes along and we all know the smell in the air. No frost, as crisp, as cold. We're all very aware of that. Maybe we're out moose or caribou hunting, trying to get our freezers full of meat. You know, kids are going off to college and they're saying goodbye to their parents as they embark on a new season of their life. Gardens are getting, you know, harvested probably by now. We're blanching and canning vegetables. We're collecting all the firewood we can before winter. And then winter strikes. It's cold, it's desolate, it's lonely. We're thawing all of our frozen vegetables and meat. We're getting to a stash of the firewood. Some of us get busier in the winter. We have sports and school season. They're getting even busier than the summertime when it's winter out. Or maybe we're just hunkering down and trying to get it through that season of life. And then it repeats all over again, and that's life. It's what we've always known ever since we were a little kid. But life isn't always that predictable. It's not always that way. Sometimes it's random. Sometimes it seems unfair. One of my earliest memories was actually when I lived in Antioch, Alaska. I grew up there for 10 years. Go half-breeds. And as we were out there, we had some really good friends, the Woodmancies. It was Dave and Jenny Woodmancy, and they were like the sweetest couple our family's probably ever known. They were like grandparents to me and my brother and sister. Dave, he was a magistrate at the local courthouse out there. He also had his hands in social work. His wife, Jenny, she was a welder in Donlin Creek, and she would work two on, two off out there. They were by far the nicest people I've ever met. As we got to get to know their family, we just experienced a lot of joy and excitement. We would have game nights, we'd watch movies at their house, we would get to, to meet them and just really you know, be a part of their family. I remember at Christmas time one year, they actually made us, all of us kids, stockings. And these stockings were probably like four to five feet tall stockings and like this wide. And they would stuff them full with everything they could think of that we'd like. Like I could fit inside my stocking at that time. I was probably six or seven. And they were just so, so good to us. They were our best friends. And then also there was Granny, so that was Jenny's mom, and she lived with them as well. She was probably 85, 90. She was definitely older. I don't quite remember her age, but she was just like a spitfire of a woman and also the sweetest woman as well. She had dementia. She was always in a wheelchair as long as I knew her, and she would always say like these funniest things from like a, an older woman, right? I remember one story where she was um, getting really excited and telling us about how she wanted to go skiing. And she's like 85, 90, and she's in a wheelchair with dementia. And she's talking about skiing. And we're like, well, I guess you probably do want to go cross-country skiing. And she's like, no, I want to go downhill skiing. And we're like, okay. Like, you know, this is the type of woman she was. Or another story I can remember, she would um, often wake up early in the morning and read the newspaper. But she would read it upside down. And she was just the sweetest woman. She fully enjoyed her newspaper, even though she probably didn't understand it. And it was upside down. This was the Woodmancy family. They were super sweet, they were loving. Um, they gave us one of our dogs that we've had for like 12 years. And they were just like, we have so much connection with this family. And everything was seeming to go really well. And then I remember one evening, we were over at their house. And like I said, I was probably six or seven years old. And as we were hanging out, enjoying our company together, um, Granny is about ready to go to bed. And 
my mom was like whispered in my ear, you know, go kiss granny goodnight on the cheek. And, you know, as a six-year-old boy, I didn't want to kiss anyone on the cheek. And I remember as awkwardly as I could, I went over to granny, kissed her on the cheek and told her goodnight. And as the night went on, I remember hearing a cough. It's a slight cough in the back bedroom. And for some reason, in my heart, I knew that granny was gone forever. I don't know how to explain that, but I knew that that was the last time I'd ever see or kiss granny on the cheek. And as the evening went on, I remember Dave, he went in to check on granny, make sure she was okay and asleep. And I remember him coming out and he was crying and he said, granny had passed. I remember the Alaska state trooper who came over and confirmed what we all dreaded, that granny was gone. I remember her being brought out with a blanket over her head as her families cried and said goodbye. It doesn't make sense to me how a five or six year old impressionable child who has somebody so close to his family one minute and then gone the next. It doesn't make sense, I don't understand that. I was young, I just didn't understand why, just the simple why behind this happening. Three to four years later, Dave, who was literally like a grandfather to us, got diagnosed with stage three cancer. Throughout his life, he has rejected God because of his previous marriages. He was married to three or four times, I think. And one of his wives that he was married to got saved in their marriage. And when that happened, she divorced Dave because their church told her to. That doesn't seem fair. He was an atheist. He hated God. He rejected God. And now he's on a deathbed with cancer as an atheist. It just seemed like another jab at the family that meant the most to us. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with this season? How do you make sense of it, especially as a kid? Life is unpredictable. It seems unfair. It doesn't always work out the way we like it to work out. That's life. When we go through physical seasons, we kind of understand them. We understand spring, we understand summer. We know we need to prepare in the spring and summer for fall and winter. We understand that to some degree and we can prepare for that. And when it comes to spiritual seasons, it's kind of similar. We understand that we need to be spiritually strong to, to withstand the spiritual winter. But life isn't always this equation we'd like it to be. It doesn't always make sense. These spiritual walks that we can go through, we can somewhat prepare for, but at the same time, we can't always predict them. And we can't always know what's in front of us. Life isn't always fair and predictable. We might be going through seasons of spiritual spring, so to speak, that seem like they're going really good. It might be a lot of growth, a lot of rebirth. We might come in this spiritual spring where we're experiencing new life. I felt like the 21 days of prayer and fasting was like that for our church. A lot of life, a lot of growth. Maybe we were finally understanding God in a new way. Maybe we finally got to see that breach being restored. Maybe we finally just read that one passage of scripture that never made sense to us and it finally just clicked in our hearts. Maybe that was the spiritual spring. Maybe, maybe we've been through that or maybe spiritual you know, summer, so to speak, where everything in our life is growing and we're seeing the fruit of what God has done. We're getting to experience spiritual maturity and we're finally understanding what God is doing. We get to see the beauty that he has created in our spiritual lives and be a part of that in such a wonderful way. Or maybe we've been in a spiritual fall. We get caught up in the hype of the summer and we lose track of time. We get complacent and our spirits wither in the frost. Maybe we end up in a spiritual winter. It strikes, things are spiritually dead. It's a wasteland, it's cold. 
so lonely. The darkness is overwhelming, and we just want out of it. Maybe the depression and anxiety takes over our spiritual winters. Maybe that sin that we thought was dealt with has come back to resurface, and now we're up to our necks in a battle for our life, our own very soul. Maybe we've always been in that spiritual winter. Maybe we've always been in that fog, and we've never really experienced a spring and the summer that God has gives us and blesses us. Maybe we've always been in that place. Maybe all we know is that pain and that fog, that confusion. Illness strikes, a job's lost, friendships fade, uncertainty looms, marriage has fallen apart. Whether the gray-haired saint is facing cancer or the college student is burdened by the pressures of the future, all this crisis and suffering, it can shake even the most confident Christians. What do we do when we find ourselves in these positions, in these seasons of a spiritual desert, a spiritual winter, winter of death? What do we do when we find ourselves there? We all have been there in the good seasons, the bad seasons, and the ugly seasons. If we haven't, we will. It's how life works. It comes and it goes, and it doesn't always make sense. That's life. It isn't what it seems. You might, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's and in the end, it doesn't mean anything. Life is weird. It's not this equation that I'd like it to be. I'm a very, you know, type A person. I like things to be in order. I like, you know, uh, all my ducks in a row. I like short, clear communication. That's, that's how I'm wired. And the fact that life doesn't work that way really upsets me. And I have to deal with that. Life isn't, if I do A and B, I should get C. It's not how life works. I'm sorry. And it, that's probably why I like Ecclesiastes so much is because it's like, well, it doesn't work in my favor. But this idea that life doesn't work in our favor is not just a Christian idea. You see this all throughout the world. You look at different religions, different cultures. Everybody's trying to find meaning. Everybody's trying to make sense of the world around them. The popular American rock band from the 1990s, Linkin Park, wrote their most famous song on this. Yes, I threw it in there, Cody. In the end, right? I've tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. I had to fall to lose it all, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. We should have sang that for worship. <laughs> but you see, like, my point is, life doesn't make sense. I don't care if you're a Christian or a non-Christian or if you're a Hindu or a Buddhist. We're all trying to make sense of the world around us. That's true. The idea of life being meaningless and you know, having everything's confusing, not making sense, this is just the human condition. And at the same time, this idea is also canonized in your Bible, in the book of Ecclesiastes. That is the word of God. And you'll find that in your Bible. So I want to just put off on the front end that you are not alone in the struggle. You're not alone in these seasons. I've been there, I understand that. I've battled with depression personally and the fog that it brings. I've had that urge just to end it all and be done. I get it, I hear you, I understand you. Life doesn't make sense. But more importantly, God understands you and God hears you. Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, he's in the same boat as the rest of us. He's understanding that life isn't what it seems. It doesn't make sense. He realizes that the good and the bad, we all die. It doesn't matter if you're super righteous or you're Hitler, you're all gonna die. It happens, that's life. He's understanding that. Just because you're wise and not a fool, just because you've tried this and tried that doesn't make you ahead of anyone else in this game of life. We all have the same end. We often do what we think we're supposed to do. And in the end, we don't get what we want in return. 
Solomon is bringing to light the reality that we're living in. He says it over and over again, hevel, hevel, everything is utterly hevel. We often translate this in our Bibles as like meaninglessness, but that really isn't capturing the whole idea of the word hevel. Hevel is kind of like a vapor or a smoke, right? He's using, he actually used this term 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's using this as a, to describe life. It's, it's like this vapor, it's a smoke. It seems like it's just out there, something solid, something I can lay a hold of, something I can grab, something that's an anchor. And the moment you reach for that, what happens? Your hand just goes right through it and nothing's there. It's blown away. It appears solid, but when you try to grab it, it's like nothing that is there. It's just fleeting. It moves with time. And, and this is what the teacher's getting at. He's saying, there's so much goodness. There's so much beauty. There's so much awesome things in this world. And right when you're enjoying it, right when I'm enjoying a game night at the Woodmancy's house, tragedy strikes. Life isn't what it seems. Most of us have a sense of justice, a sense of right and wrong. And we question, why do bad things happen to good people? It doesn't make sense. We do our best. We do our best intentions. We do everything we ought to do. We do A and B and we get C and it's not fair. This is our human condition. This is the world that we're living in. It's unpredictable. It's unstable. It's like chasing the wind. Solomon, he's in the boat, the same boat that we're all in right now. Seasons come and they go, the good ones and the bad ones, the ones that bring life and the ones that bring death. Life doesn't always work in favor of the righteous. No matter how hard you try, you might just end up hurt and disappointed. So getting into Ecclesiastes chapter three, there's a lot that's being said here. And this really does shed light on this problem, this problem of seasons, this problem of life being unpredictable. It really just helps out us and our current situation. But if we're going to understand Ecclesiastes chapter three, we need to understand the context of the book. The purpose of Ecclesiastes is forcing us to take a look at our mortality very seriously. And then we consider how we live based upon that. Ecclesiastes is knocking away all the facades of life by which we disguise the very simple fact that life is short and all that you work for, all of your accomplishments will pass away. Ecclesiastes chapter three, starting in verse one. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Verse nine, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
So these verses are probably the most famous verses in Ecclesiastes. Everybody knows it. You always hear it when you go to a funeral or memorial service. You, you hear it when you read through the book of Ecclesiastes and it's, it's very popular, it's well quoted, it's very familiar to us. And with the context of Ecclesiastes that we are mortals, we are doomed to perish. And all that we work for is gonna perish with us. No work that you do, no work that I do is eternal. All of our activities, whether we're building up or tearing down, that's life, that's, that's our condition. And it also must change as our season dictates. No matter what we do on this earth, it's probably gonna to go to somebody else who doesn't deserve it, one, or two, you're gonna be disappointed, or three, it's all gonna burn in the end, or probably all of them together, that's most likely. That's, the, this, that's this world, that's our condition, that's what we're living in. And of course, we would naturally like to stay on the positive side of this list, right? We'd, we'd rather love instead of hate. We'd rather have peace instead of war. We'd rather have, you know, we wouldn't want to lose all of our stuff. We want to seek, we want to, you know, we have this whole list and it's like, you have plus one, you have minus one, you have plus one, you have minus one. In the end, it's a zero because you just subtracted it all. And of course, we want to stay on the positive side of things. And we want to, we want to live in this unchanging bliss. But the fact is we're not in Eden anymore. That's not where we're at. As long as we're living in this world of constant change, constant season, we have to accept it as it is. And even in verse 11, the author says, everything is appropriate in its time. We must accept the fundamental fact of mortality. We are creatures who live in time. It's no changing that. It's no way getting out of that. We must respond appropriately to the seasons as they come. And the fact that God has put eternity in our hearts tells us that we are creatures of time, not like the animals though, but we are fully and exclusively creatures of time, but with eternity placed into our hearts. We're hybrids, so to speak. We have this inner longing for something eternal, for something more, for something beyond this planet. So we can never fully be at peace on this earth because we are mortal and we yearn for immortality. We yearn for what is beyond this earth, something that is outside of our seasons, outside of change. We are longing and we yearn for that. You see with, with life, with all of its thrills, all the work that you put in, all the family connections, all the friends, all the, your marriage, all of this stuff that you really like and try to push for, it just doesn't satisfy you in the end. In fact, it will disappoint you terribly. And Solomon, he's laying it out on the table as it is. He wasn't satisfied with life. He was the richest person ever. He was the wisest person ever. He had the most wives ever. He had all of these things. And at the end of his life, he's coming to the conclusion that this is all meaningless. This is pointless. It's chasing after the wind. It's futile. It's just like a wisp of smoke. You try to grab it and it's gone. And he is bothered by this realization. And when we go through life, when we experience this firsthand, it leaves us hurt. It leaves us scarred and it affects who we are today. The things that we strive and push for, we try to lay a hold of it. And as we try to do that, as we try to push for something that we think matters is gone. And this is our life. This is our world. This is our condition. So what do we do when life doesn't make sense? What do we do when we're struggling to understand this season? You do everything you ought to do. You do A and B and you get C and you're upset with it. What do you do? 
I mean, if in the end it doesn't matter, if it's all meaningless, what do we do as Christians? That is the dilemma of Ecclesiastes. We know that God is in control of all things at all times and all places, yet we often feel frustrated when we don't understand what he's up to. So what do you do when life doesn't make sense? That's what Ecclesiastes is asking. That's what the author's asking here. And when we mention Ecclesiastes, we're always like, well, that guy's like a downer. Why would we go to him for help? Well, the truth is he's in the same boat as the rest of us. And at the same time, Solomon, he's not pushing the depressed person over the edge. He's not completely pushing them over. He's showing the frustrated person that there is a glimpse of hope. There is something to this world that is beyond my understanding. There's something else there. We just have to look for it. And we also must remember that Solomon, he doesn't understand the whole gospel narrative yet. He's living in an Old Testament world under an Old Testament law with Old Testament glasses, right? He doesn't have the big picture we have today. He doesn't see Jesus Christ. He doesn't know that yet. So he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes with the best of his ability with what he knows at the time. So what do we do when life doesn't make sense? What do we do when we're in that season? We know that God is working things together, but we just don't have the capacity to understand that. We know his works make sense. We know that he's wise and beautiful and, and he's holy and just and sovereign, but it doesn't always seem that way to us. It really doesn't. Isaiah 55, eight, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. That is the truth. I want you guys to remember that God is good and we are not good. He controls all things at all times and all places and he is good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And I wanna encourage you guys that God is working all things for your good, even when you have to embrace the suck. That's true. Even when you wanna end it all, even when you think there's no hope, even when you don't see the redemption or the restoration, when all you see is that cold, dark winter, when all you see is that season, when you think nothing matters, I promise you God is working in your life for good. I believe that. This is not about our seasons. This is about God's goodness. We can get caught up in our circumstances. We can really get caught up in what's happening right now in the nitty gritty, but this really isn't about our seasons. This isn't really about this planet. It's bigger than that. This is about God's goodness. This is about who God is. God is not merely just playing with his creation at our own expense. He's not just trying to have fun with us as we struggle and push through this life. That's not what God's doing. He didn't create a world without meaning leaving us to wander through it without hope or understanding. Instead, God designed us to desire an infinite knowledge so that we would fear God. To fear God means to remember who God is and to remember who we are in comparison to him. We remind ourselves that God is sovereign and control of all things, but at the same time, we have a hard time accepting the fact that we are human, that we have an inability to understand God's ways. And that's the difference between us and God. We aren't perfect. We aren't infinite. We aren't all wise. We aren't all powerful. We are subject to God and his goodness in our lives. So what do we do? Job was in the same boat as well. You look in the book of Job. He says, shall we receive good from God and, how, and shall we not receive evil? Job 2.10. 
He's making the point that God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. If we receive the good seasons from him, why should we not receive the bad? If you guys find yourself restless and in that desert, I wanna encourage you that you will not find rest until you find rest in God. If you find yourself hurting, you're not gonna find redemption and restoration unless it's in God. Or you find yourself with a longing you just cannot explain you're gonna find that in God. C.S. Lewis so famously quoted, he said, if I find my, in myself desires with nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. If you find yourself doing everything you ought to do and then bam, it doesn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. That's where I find myself a lot. I do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a perfect legalist example of that. And I don't get what I want in return. That's life. Maybe you don't know Jesus and everything you try just leaves you empty. You've tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Well, I'm gonna tell you, if you try and try and you search and search, you're gonna feel empty. This world is never gonna satisfy you. Your job is never gonna satisfy you. Your money, it's never gonna satisfy you. Your marriage is never gonna satisfy you. Whatever knowledge or wisdom you think you have, it's not gonna satisfy you. God is the only thing that will ever satisfy you. This is what you need to do. You need to do exactly what Hebrews 12, one and two tells you to do. Starting in verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before, before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, of your faith. For who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God encourage you guys, live in faith, keep running the race, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. He ran the race in front of you and he already plowed the way for you. When you lose that loved one, God still has a plan. He is working. Dave Woodmancy, a week before he died, my 13-year-old brother at the same time was going on vacation with his grandparents out of state. He was passing through Seattle, Washington, where Dave was at. My brother Dawson, he went to the, the airport, grabbed a Bible from the store. He wrote the Romans Road in the front cover and he gave that to Dave Woodmancy, who couldn't even speak at the time. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. I know for certain that Dave and his life and everything is made beautiful in its appropriate time. There's not a shadow of doubt about that. He has and will make everything beautiful in his time, in his appropriate time. Beauty is awaiting you in the end. I fundamentally believe that about your life. Even when you don't see it, even when it doesn't seem to matter, I promise you that Jesus Christ is making everything beautiful in your life at his appropriate time. We need to accept the seasons of life as they come and accept it with a grateful heart. That is the condition that we are in. Imagine us, a body of believers who do unavoidably go through seasons of change, things that don't make sense, but we can use this as an opportunity to learn about Jesus Christ, to learn from him and become more like Jesus. We can learn from our seasons, not avoid them, but make the most of them. 
Sometimes the seasons suck. I agree. I'm not saying we need to thank God for the perceived injustices of this earth, but I want you to thank God for where he's placed you and what you can learn from the maker of seasons. Imagine us being able to have the opportunity to see what God is doing, even in the desert, even in that winter. We have the opportunity to push away the facades of life and take a real look at what matters. Imagine what our church can do if we lay aside everything that slows us in this race. Imagine who we could be as we pursue God upwardly, inwardly, and outwardly. Imagine that. As a church, we can do far more than we can ever imagine through Christ who's working in our hearts, in our lives, in our winters, in our deserts, in these seasons that don't make sense. We can be a people on fire for God with our testimonies of, as an example of God's goodness in our lives, even in our hardest deserts. No matter what the season is, we need to realize that life is more than the desert. It is more than the winter. It's a race which encumbers us and slows us down, but Jesus is ahead of us waiting for you to make everything beautiful in its appropriate time, to make your ashes into something beautiful, to use your season for something greater than you can imagine. He is bigger than your regrets. He's bigger than all of your mistakes and goofs ups and all those seasons that you thought you wasted. He is bigger than that and he will use that. He will never, ever waste your pain. Eternity is what matters we're made for something bigger than this, something bigger than what we can ever strive for. So if you're gonna strive, I encourage you, strive towards God, strive towards him, look to his face, live in faith. You do what you're supposed to do and run towards him and let him worry about the rest. Look to Christ, run the race. And remember that despite the season, God is working for your good. Even when you don't see it, even when life is meaningless and you feel like there is no meaning, but you will find your greatest meaning and identity in God. God uses us as we are broken and shattered vessels because his light can shine through our cracks and brokenness. In our time of desert and winter, when we can't see the end, we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, that's when God's light shines in our lives the most. That's when his light can shine through our cracks and our brokenness is when we are most cracked and broken. I just want to encourage you guys that beauty is there. We just need the right perspective. The perspective that there is hope. Hope, his name is Jesus. He is using any season in your life. He doesn't waste any of it. He's using it for your good and the good of the kingdom. Seasons come and they go and doesn't always make sense, but God has a plan throughout all of that. Your life is just a blink in the eye in the grand comparison of eternity. The pain, the loss, the death, the uncertainty, all of it has no comparison for what is waiting ahead of us. We might not see the beauty on this side of eternity, or maybe we will, but either way, I promise you, what is waiting in front of you is worth a lifetime of deserts. I just want to encourage you guys today that no matter what the season is, God is working together for your good. He is using your seasons of life for something greater than you can ever imagine. He's using your brokenness. He's using your pain. He's using all the uncertainty that we go through for something that is greater. When I was a kid, I didn't see the grand scope of things with the Woodmancy's family. I didn't see that, but I know that Dave Woodmancy's in the arms of Jesus right now. You never see it when you're in it. You gotta look ahead. You gotta look ahead to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. He ran the race. He's ready for you. You can make it. You can get through. 
just look to Jesus. If I had to tell you one thing, it's just look to Jesus because beauty is awaiting you. Let's worship.